Welcome to Biopics Mostly Suck, the podcast where we tell the true story behind movies based on a true story. Today, we're going to talk about Molly's Game, the story of Molly Bloom and the high-stakes poker game she ran in Hollywood and New York. Molly's Game stars Jessica Chastain as Molly Bloom, Idris Elba as her attorney, Charlie Jaffe, and Michael Sarah as Player X. My guest for today's episode is my frequent collaborator, John Helix, a local musician in the San Diego area. Find him on Facebook and Twitter at John Helix Official. Our good friend Dawn will also join us to talk about the movie. Molly's Game gets a 7.4 out of 10 rating from the Internet Movie Database, an 82% fresh rating from Rotten Tomatoes, and a 71% rating from Metacritic. How is Molly's Game as a movie? How is Idris Elba's presentation of Charlie Jaffe like the director Aaron Sorkin? What really happened during the skiing accident? Who really sat at Molly's poker tables? All of that, and we're also going to talk about the presentation of women in film. There will be spoilers in the discussion. If you're ready, let's get started. And if not... Just hit pause. We'll still be here. Yeah. So uh, I want to check levels here real quick because I'm doing pretty good on the level there. John, go ahead Should and speak. You check yourself. You're good. Don, speak. Hello. Arf. Oh, I didn't want to hit that. I was just concerned because see how low she is? Yeah. Don't mix with your eyes. Okay. And I'm going to volume match it anyway. It doesn't matter, yeah. It'll be fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, if you jack up at a 58, they sound horrible. Okay, well. They just get boomy and tinny. And I think that's the upgrade. It's a great philosophy. What? Don't tune with your eyes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Don't mix with your eyes. Don't, yeah. don't mix with your eyes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I had a I took a sound production class, and the teacher there used to say, peeking in the red is not a dish on a Chinese menu. <laughs> 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 and that's always stuck with me. Yeah, no, it's it well, and there's a there's all kinds of studies with the relationship between the way your eyes interpret when you once you understand how sound waves are formed and what they look like, yeah. and the way you hear music, and it completely cha- it alters the way that you perceive music when you look at the sound wave while you're listening to it. Yeah, uh, no or sound just because uh, you watch the rises and you. You start expecting them, so you don't have anything come to you. Yeah, I can see what's going to happen, so I'm I'm reacting to it, mm. like, mm. but with a pre, uh, with the pre, you know, beforehand knowledge that it's going to happen, so I'm anticipating it. Yeah, so I'm not listening to it fresh. Mm. You're, mm-hmm. you're you're watching with your eyes, and that's mixing with your eyes. Mm-mm. And that's what I was doing with trying to jack. Yeah, her so up. I would just say we'll get the best sound on the microphone and screw what screw what the waveforms are saying. Yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, are you a bunch of a gambler? No, I actually despise gambling. Don, do you gamble at all? No, hate gambling. Hate the little epicenters we have in this country for gambling, like Vegas, Reno, Atlantic City. They're just smarmy and gross. Yeah, I I think somehow I'm missing the gene that would give me knowledge on how to work on cars and how to play poker. Neither of them I ever really learned at all, and 
didn't have much interest in, except I made a terrible mistake once when we were young and poor and I had an invitation to go play <laughs> poker with, um, with a friend of ours and all his friends who were math majors. Oh, fun for you. And I, I spent 40 bucks we didn't have with the thought I could. Oh, you had make. a plan. I thought I had a plan. I I got hosed. I got how long, how long did did they, did they did they hustle you or did no? It wasn't hustling, but they were math majors, so, so they just kicked your ass. They kicked my ass. Yeah. You know, I, I I was totally ill-equipped. I I can't remember which hand is bigger than another hand at all. I just I don't get that stuff at all. So yeah, I got my ass kicked so, at the poker game, and I got my ass kicked again when I came home and told Don how much money I had lost. <laughs> <laughs> that we didn't have to lose. <laughs> I don't think I've played poker since then. Mm-hmm. So you said you don't have those genes. So does that mean everyone in your family can fix cars and or play poker? Cars, no. However, cards in my family were a big thing. My grandmother was a huge casino goer. But whenever the family would get together for dinners and such things... Pinochle was the game. Mm-hmm. That was the big game that was going. They even mm-hmm. had the mat. There was a special mat. I remember there was a space for Tripoli, which I never understood. And they were always talking about the kitty and everything else. But yeah, when I was a kid, uh, you know, it would be bedtime and they'd still be down there, the family playing Pinochle cards, whatever. Yeah, see, I, I will, because I, I grew up playing blackjack and poker and I don't know, everything. But. It's just when money was involved, it, it's not even that, it's just not exciting for me. It just seems, it seems like, and again, it's, I just, I probably just don't have the, the rush thing or whatever, what whatever it is, the moment in the gambling addict, when the, when you're, the moment you're searching for that right before the, you know, the final card is, is turned that's just always seemed to me a colossal waste of money and time. Mm-hmm. And I just have never, I mean, I've, I think I've gambled twice at a, at a blackjack table. And I think I won once and lost the other time, but both times I found it utterly unamusing, yep. uninteresting. And I, I wanted to walk away from the table. <laughs> it's just, and also like Dom was saying, the environment too is just, Oh, it's just so fucking depressing. Yeah. It's like 4 a.m. and the person's been up all night. They've been to the ATM 18 times. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's just, oh, my God. So, no, the gambling world and gambling, no. And when people talk about the ponies and all this shit, it's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, my grandmother used to go to Reno <laughs> and Vegas all the time and gamble. And, and she'd do well. She'd win. But uh, she played bingo a lot, too. Mm. Which is gambling in a way. You're putting your money down for the cards. And sure, and it's chance. It's a game of chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the degree that when she was being treated for cancer, the doctor scheduled her treatments. And she said, Tuesdays don't work for me. I play bingo on that day. And he rescheduled. Nice. Yeah. She wasn't bending. No, she didn't, she didn't bend too much at all. No. I would say I can at least see the appeal for some people in poker versus other gambling because so much of it is just chance but poker is strategy and psychology and you are having to deploy a lot of skills if you want to become a consistent winner Mm -hmm. 
And there is an argument that poker is not gambling because of that, that it's a game of skill, is how it gets referred to. Well, now it's it's on the sports channel. Yeah. Really? The World Series of Poker. Yeah. There's, that type of thing. It's on ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know who doesn't play poker, surprisingly? Molly Bloom, the subject of the movie we're going to talk about, Molly's game. She does not play poker at all, even though she oversaw these games in Los Angeles and New York that we're going to talk about. So uh, Molly's game, let's go ahead and get into it. First movie directed by Aaron Sorkin. I know you're a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're big first four seasons of West Wing fans. Uh, we got to stop at the first four. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've watched anything other. I think I saw it was a will they or won't they after that. Right? It was like yeah. romances. Right? Yeah. It was all garbage and yeah. poor writing. Yeah. Just Oh, God, the writing's pedan- so good in the first four seasons. Oh, my God, the, right, the, yeah. the first episode. Because that's Martin Sheen as yeah. President Bartlett, yeah. which he has what has to be the best first line from a character in a television series <laughs> ever which is i am the lord thy god and you shall have no other gods before me (laughs) did you ever see the newsroom no you've told me about it though you should check it out because there's this whole monologue that uh is it jeff daniels jeff daniels Daniels does about liberalism and it is very sorkin-esque of Mm -hmm. course you know goes deep into detail and Uh, Aaron Sorkin does his Sorkin thing on it, mm-hmm. but it's it's a little it's, it's less consistent than some of his other work. I would, agree. but it's still solid. It overall. is. It is. Well, Molly's Game was the first movie that he directed. The film opens as Molly Bloom, a downhill mogul skier who is racing in a qualifying event for the 2002 Olympic Games, suffers a horrible accident when a bough of a pine branch that is frozen in the snow releases the binding on her ski. As she executes a, an aerial maneuver, she loses her ski and crashes as a heap onto the snow. She quits skiing, and instead of attending law school as planned, she takes a year off to move to Los Angeles. Always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Nothing can go wrong with that plan. Yeah. Every time I see a movie open with someone heading to Los Angeles to pursue their dreams, all I can think of is the beginning of the video for Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. With Axl Rose getting <laughs> off the bus with this very hasty sort of look yeah. to him. And then they're ending with someone who looks just like him yeah. at the beginning getting off the bus. And in the midst of the video, he's becoming a wreck. Yeah. Do you think that even when you watch the Muppet movie? That's different. Oh, okay. That's the Muppets. <laughs> So she heads to L.A. to ruin her life. Right. Molly bunks with a friend and becomes a waitress at a high-end club where she meets Dean, a real estate developer, who hires her as his office manager. We'll we'll talk about him in real life. He gets her involved in arranging poker games, which include movie stars, sports players, and investment bankers. Molly earns a good deal of money in tips from the games. Molly quickly learns about poker and how to appeal to the players involved. Dean becomes threatened with how well she is putting together the sessions, and he tries to control her. Unable to do that, he then fires her. In response, Molly takes the contacts she has collected and creates her own poker games. Player X, as he is known in the film, played by Michael Sarah. 
He is such a smarmy son Absolutely. of a bitch in this film. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Jinx. Buy me a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Player X leaves to join Molly's game. As Molly becomes more successful, Player X pressures her to raise the stakes of her games. Another player, Harlan Eustace, loses to the worst player in one night. He suffers heavy losses and borrows more money from Molly and continues to suffer losses. Molly finds out that Player X is funding Harlan and enjoys being in the game to ruin people's lives more than he is in it to win a game of poker. Player X also thinks Molly is making too much in tips and wants to put a cap on it. Molly refuses, and Player X changes the venue for the games without telling Molly and lets Molly know after the fact. Molly moves to New York to start a new poker game. She refuses to take a stake in the game because that would be against the law and instead decides to fund the stakes herself. Her dealer tells her that she is in danger of not being able to cover the bets and recommends that if the pot gets too high for Molly's comfort, she just has to flash a number to the dealer and she will take that percentage from the pot and place it in the bank. Let the big truck pass. Is it coming through on the mic? I hear it in my headphones. Oh, yeah, they're picking up the dumpster. Dump truck. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely coming through on the mic. You know, as a child, I had a fascination with uh, um, construction vehicles. Well, a lot of little boys do. I, so, I, And I memorized all of them, and we would just go around, and there are lots of stories of me just pointing at shit and naming it, like, <laughs> backhoe. <laughs> like, I'd be sitting in the car, and I was like, two or something, I'd go... Whatever it was. <laughs> That's fabulous. When I was a teenager, we knew a family who had a really little boy who really liked trucks, but his pronunciation wasn't good. Oh, God. So the family was always on guard for when trucks were coming by before he <laughs> shouted out. Fuck, like you fuck, were, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Mom, it's a fire fuck. <laughs> it's a fuck stop. <laughs> Deliveries in the rear. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was, it was. It was too easy. Yeah. Yeah. It was teed up and ready to go. It's a trash fuck. <laughs> oh, that sounds. That that could be a neologism. You could put that in the OED. A trash fuck. That sounds like something. That sounds like a very specific incident. Yes. Like like a dirty Sanchez. Yeah, but not like in that in that kind of. Um, you know, who who holds all? The, is that Urban Dictionary who yeah. houses all yeah. those? Not that, like something <laughs> that would be a legitimate. Like, oh man, that was a real fucking trash fuck. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, that's good. oh oh slang. Yeah, slang. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. The equivalent... like the last the last person left at the bar. Yeah, like, yeah. trash fuck. I was yeah. I was thinking equivalent of dumpster fire. Yeah, like, right. like it's a real yeah. Well, yeah. Well, oh no, no, it's it's what would cause to me an actual walk of shame. Oh, you're still thinking sexual. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm out out of the sexual realm. I'm just thinking along the lines of dumpster fire. Instead of saying that was a dumpster fire, or 2020 was a dumpster fire. No, 2020 was a trash fuck. It has much more impact, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's continue. Okay. When one of her players is investigated for running a Ponzi scheme, Molly is investigated and questioned about who attended her games. Molly's schedule at this time necessitated 
the use of drugs to stay awake and drugs to sleep, and the drugs took their toll. Her games began to include members of the Russian Mafia, and soon the Italian Mafia, quote, offer their services to extort money from players who do not settle their debts. She refuses their offer and is attacked in her home. As she recovers, she sees in the newspaper that members of the Mafia have been arrested in an FBI raid. After she recovers from her injuries, Douglas Downey, one of her players, acts as an informant and the FBI conducts a raid. Her assets are seized and she leaves New York to live with her mother in Colorado. Two years later, Molly has published a book where she names some celebrities who attended her games, and she is arrested by the FBI and indicted for involvement in illegal gambling with the Mafia. Molly hires defense attorney Charlie Jaffe. Hires may not be the right term, since she can't afford to pay his $250,000 retainer fee. He agrees to represent her after he finds out that she has been protecting innocent people who were affected by her poker games. He tells her that when she plugs her cell phone into her computer to charge it, that her computer downloads all of the text messages and emails that are on the phone. She says that she keeps all of her old hard drives, and the information on those drives from her phone would destroy innocent people's lives. While in New York for her plea bargain, she reconciles with her father. Played by Kevin Costner. I think he's great in this role. Yeah. I mm-hmm. thought he was really great. Right. And we should also mention actors we haven't mentioned yet. Jessica Chastain stars as Molly. Mm-hmm. Idris Elba. Oh. Don mm-hmm. Idris Elba. Uh, yeah. I, I would watch him in anything. Me too. <laughs> da. Oh. Yeah. I got that a guy. Man, I got a man got crush a man? like no like nobody's business. Really? Yeah. Idris Elba. When yeah. when we were when we were seeing the cast, you know, before we saw it, it's like, oh Idris Elba's like, oh my god, yeah. That guy, oh, yeah. I mean, he is renaissance. I could just drink him in. Mm-hmm. He does some car show on BBC, I think, as well, where he's driving cars and oh. talking about cars. <laughs> talking cars. No, not, not selling cars, no. <laughs> and he's a DJ. Oh, yeah, and he, he does clubs and festivals as a DJ and does all kinds of stuff. Yeah, okay. I'll be his friend. Uh, I'm, with, yeah. I'm with you. I kind of have an Interselba man crush going, too. Yeah. Her plea bargain involves her exchanging her hard drives for the money the government has confiscated from her. She decides to go to trial instead. At the beginning of the trial, the judge decides that she has committed no serious crimes and that her sentence would be 200 hours of community service and a $200,000 fine. And that's the movie, which on the surface does not sound like an exciting film. No, and actually, that's interesting because I watched the trailer, and I was not excited for the film through watching the trailer. Even though Idris Elba was in it? Even though that was exciting, that aside, the film as a whole, I I did, I didn't think it was going to be good. I thought it was going to be just average, kind of like, okay, this is, but I, that's one where the trailer mm-hmm. does not do the film justice in, at all. Well, how do you sell something like this? I don't know. I mean, know. this is kind of a tough topic to sell, a tough plot to sell. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea how you would actually sell it. I wasn't particularly interested in it when I saw the trailer either. And we watched it because Rob wanted to watch it one day. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. But the definitely the movie outshines the, the promo. Well, I think the movie is extremely well done. And one thing that really struck me about the film, Aaron Sorkin has received a lot of criticism about how he writes for women. And the criticism is, 
he tends to write better for men as far as language than he does oh, okay. for I can women. See that. Yeah. You can see that? Yeah. But his experiences as a white man in this culture, I yeah. mean, there's a limit if you're not of a particular group or not seeking their input when you're writing something you're going to be limited because you you can't write in a voice you've never had but one thing i want to give him credit for is how molly is portrayed in this film which the term empowered women i think gets overused (laughs) but look at this here we have a woman who is succeeding who's making a lot of money and it's not relying on her body She's not using overt sexuality to lure men in to make the money. She set up a spreadsheet and she knows how to do the business. And that is what is making her the money. And I give a lot of credit to that portrayal because I think there are other films and especially biopics that would feel like they need to sexy that up in some way. Because viewers, men especially, cannot believe that a woman would be this successful in something that that is it is sexy it's it it activates your id in a different mm-hmm. way right poker when you're winning when there's all these high stakes when you're putting down more money than you than you have yeah they, and there's drinks and there's women and there's yeah yeah yeah, there's, yeah there's, they can't believe that the men would come there because she had a package based in a high stakes poker game that she could run well. It had to be because she was sexy, because she had sexy women on her, you know, staff on her team. And I want to share with both of you that point of view from a film critic named Kevin Currier from Mm. Critics at Large. And I'm sure both of you will be infuriated by the end of this paragraph. Kevin Currier writes... Sorkin wants us to see Molly as a master facilitator of underground poker games, who is, however, above the obsessive world of gambling. And this idea guts her character. So he over... Wait, wait, already... I think this guy loves words a little too much, yeah. or his, the words he's choosing. Because already, he would never question it if it was a movie about a drug dealer who wasn't using his own product. Mm-hmm. Continuing. Yes. So he overdoses on voiceover narration to compensate for the blank spot at the center of the film. Sorkin overloads the picture with so much exposition that all we get in her story without the benefit of seeing it fleshed out dramatically. It distances us from the protagonist and we don't encounter Bloom's inner demons. When she starts using drugs to cope with the mounting pressures of running games all week, Sorkin depicts it no differently than if she were picking up the laundry. She works the tables with a vast collection of men with damaged egos and turbulent lives, but we don't feel her attachment to this world and what she gets out of it. She doesn't even have a... It's a business! The fuck? She doesn't even have a sex life or any desire for one. How dare she? You begin to think... (laughs) You begin to think that Sorkin feels eroticism would darken the pure spirit of his poker princess. Wow. That, that guy's just in love with the way that his words sound when they're put together. That guy can go fuck himself. There's no substance in that paragraph. But I think that is how other films would have done it. I, I think what he... Uh, Good what, on him. I, I would say I'm yeah. wholly offended with what he has said. 
but I don't think he's wrong about the expectation a viewer has for the character to be presented in that way. Sure, and he he's 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 presenting himself as mm-hmm. as player X, <laughs> subject X, yeah. as the person who would, you know, espouse that representation. And I let's I don't know. How seriously do you take popular movie movie critics? Not at all. Well, I mean, I used to do film criticism but in so, print and that's radio. Not, that's not the same. But, I, I mean... Yeah, that's it's just not, not the same. It, it depends on the critic, I think. Okay. Yeah. It, it's nice to see a woman who is doing the same thing a man would be shown in the film. Yeah. And he would be shown as being resourceful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That, that, would, that would not yeah. be cunning. That would be a resourcefulness. Yeah. His his initial path was waylaid, so he found a way to learn all these skills in a short course by using this person who hired him, and he took the game from them. How entrepreneurial. Well, and especially with the logical male brain, he was able to separate out all the different elements of the business. Yes, because, you know, women are no, so women emotional. No, women can't run. They, 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 just go, they operate completely on emotion. They don't, you know, yeah. The lady brain would overload. That's right. Yeah. 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 The movie Molly's Game is based on the book Molly's Game, written by Molly Bloom. And I want to point out that the cover shown in the movie is exactly the cover of the actual book. The only difference is Jessica Chastain's picture is on it Mm -hmm. instead of Molly Bloom. And also the movie covered more territory than the book did, because the book was released prior to her arrest and trial. Oh. And we'll talk about how that came into play in creating the movie. Are we going to learn names here? We are. Holy shit! That was the that was the thing I was the most excited about going into this discussion. I was like, okay, did Rob did did he get the names? I want to know who was who was at those tables. I want names. I want names. We we will name names. He named names. We will name names. <laughs> but first, what score would you give Molly's Game as a film, Don? One to four. I'd probably give it a four. It's so much fun to watch. It really is good. It it's a, it's a good time. Yeah, I'm going straight for it too. It, uh, it's so Sorkin. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I like it, his writing. Yeah, and yeah. it's got Idris Elba in it. I yeah, just yeah. yeah. There's just nothing wrong here. I no. agree. It, it's a yeah. four. I mean, it. You know, we always joke about the movie Bound and the genre of lesbian mafia movies. Yes. Well, in in the genre of court trial poker movies, I would say Molly's Game is the best one. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the facts. In this portion of the podcast, we will talk about how facts were presented in the film and the historical and the sum total factual accuracy. We will rank the film on a letter grade for truthfulness based on the accuracy of the historical elements. Let's get started. We're going to start with the skiing accident, which is at the very opening of the film. Molly Bloom, in the movie, is in a ski competition for the 2002 Olympic Games and is competing in the Moguls competition at Deer Valley Ski Resort in Utah. She needs to perform three perfect runs in order to stay in the competition with current leaders Tiki Bandy and Sharon Keebler. Her voiceover says that the slope she is skiing on is 52 degrees, the same as the slope of the Great Pyramids, that visibility is low, and that race officials toss pine boughs on the snow to help the skier's depth perception in these conditions. During her run, one of these pine boughs, which has frozen in the snow, catches the binding of her ski in such a way that it releases her binding, and her ski comes off as she attempts an inversion off the jump during the run. 
She lands in a heap at the bottom of the slope and ends her skiing career. So what really happened? Out of all of the things we're going to discuss in this episode, this topic, this two minutes and 15 seconds of film, took the longest to research. The information available is vague and contradictory, even when it comes from Molly Bloom. And the fact that her brother was a successful skier also clouds the search results. Now, I started by trying to search for any footage of the crash that is referenced in the movie, and I could not find any. The voiceover in the movie says the event is the final qualifier for the 2002 Winter Olympics. Molly Bloom's profile on fs-ski.com, which has the official statistics for skiers, says she retired and that her final meet was February 2nd, 1999, at Bogus Basin, Idaho. Not Deer Valley is depicted in the film, and also way too early to be the final qualifying match for the 2002 Olympics. And in this meet, she placed fourth. If she had crashed out at that meet, as shown in the film, her standing would have been much lower unless every other skier had a worse day than she did. A website called tiebreaker.com, which is a sports website, says she was qualifying for the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. But FIS-Ski.com shows that she was competing in various meets in the U.S. during the same time period as the Nagano Winter Olympic Games. Time Magazine says Molly stepped away from skiing, quote, after winning that bronze medal. That would lead you to think, Bronze medal, reference being Olympics, she placed third place in skiing. Even the Netflix description of the film says former Olympian Molly Bloom. Time does not say where she won the medal, but that bronze medal might refer to the Olympics. Molly said during an interview on Ellen that she quit skiing because, quote, I had a horrific crash. In all of the accounts I found that reference Bloom's story, The specifics on when and where the crash took place are not mentioned, and Bloom has not mentioned any specifics of the crash in articles I have found. What we know for sure is that she competed in her first NORAM Cup on February 6, 1998, and she retired from the sport after she placed fourth in the NORAM Cup competition, which took place on February 19, 1999. The most concrete information about Skiing comes from Bloom's book the movie is based on, Molly's Game. Bloom says in the book that when she made the U.S. national ski team, her father had a sit-down with her. He suggested that she focus on school, and according to Bloom, her family stopped taking her ski career seriously after her back surgery. So remember in the movie, it's talked about when she was younger, Mm -hmm. she had that back surgery. That was a factor here. She placed third in the country overall the year of that sit-down, as did her brother. But she was also in pain from her medical condition, and she was tired of being in pain. You can imagine doing moguls puts a lot of strain on your back. And she was tired of trying to keep up with her brother. And she was tired of having to prove herself. She was satisfied that she had placed third overall, and she retired from skiing. 
So who is she expected to prove herself to? She's not clear on that. Mm. I don't know if she felt she was always in competition with her brother. Uh, it, she makes some reference that he was getting more attention for what he was doing in skiing than she was. It seems like after her accident with her back as a child, his was treated like a serious pursuit, whereas her pursuit of skiing was treated as, well, that's nice that Molly's doing that. Hmm. We don't expect her to really go far because of this medical condition. So she didn't go out with some huge crash. She just quietly retired because she placed third and she felt that's about as good as it's going to get with this. Now, since this is an Aaron Sorkin film, he packs a lot of other facts into the voiceover, such as the degree of the slope at 52 degrees, the same as the Great Pyramid, and about the bows that are tossed on the snow to give the skiers perspective in conditions that have poor visibility. I'm just glad he didn't go into the detail about the process for how the snow on the ground was created on that particular day <laughs> and compare it to the snow that was on the ground during another winter event in the past. I researched the degree of the Mogul Slope at Deer Valley Ski Resort, and their website says that the slope averages 26 degrees, which would be half of the 52 degrees stated in the movie. In fact, in a list of the most dangerous ski runs in the world, two of them, the Christmas Shoot in Alaska and Corbert's Clolor in Wyoming, top out at a 50-degree slope. By comparison... A ski jump slope is a maximum of 36 to 38 degrees, and that has the sole purpose of launching a person into the air, which means a 52-degree slope for moguls would have skiers bouncing down the hill like they're in a pachinko machine. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like the end scenes in uh, Better Off Dead. <laughs> pachinko. With that said, the Deer Valley Mogul Slope is one of the steepest mogul runs in existence. Regarding the pine bow that was frozen in the ground, which released Molly's binding on her ski, well, we know that never happened because she retired from skiing competition without a crash that is depicted. Pine bows are not used in moguls competition. They're used in aerials and in ski jumping. But even if pine bows were tossed out by officials to help the skiers, they would not be tossed out on the slope approaching the jump. Mm. They would be on the landing slope where skiers need the perspective for the landing. This is seen a lot in ski jumping. The jumps that have been molded from the snow, which are shown in the film, are colored. You notice there's a pink border on it. That's for the skier's perspective launching off the slope so there would be no need to have bows on the ground for the approach skiers are also seen in the movie doing inversions from the jumps but inversions were not being done in mogul skiing in 1998 or even 2002 which is what the film shows the tricks that were be being done off jumps at this time were just small kicks or waist twists in midair for the record the mogul's course that was used in the film was built by the production at a ski resort called Beaver Valley Ski Club north of Toronto. And if you're a mogul skier, you can still run the same course that was used in the film. The course was built with the cooperation of USA Skiing because their logo was used in the film. 
which makes it even more interesting that the production got a whole host of skiing details wrong, but you can still go ski the course that you see if you want to. Hmm. And that was so much research. So much time was taken just for that two minutes. See, I figured that was going to be the truest thing in the film. When I was, I, when I was watching, I was like, oh, all right, well, that, that's out of the way. <laughs> that's what that's what I thought initially. I thought, well, I'll just find the footage. We'll see yeah. it. There we go. No, it did not happen that way. Well, let's go ahead and talk about Molly Bloom. Since Molly's story is the plot of the film, which we've already talked about, let's just go ahead and dive in. What really happened? In 2014, Molly Bloom published her memoir, Molly's Game, the true story of the 26-year-old woman behind the most exclusive high-stakes underground poker game in the world. Is that the subtitle? That's the subtitle. I was about to comment on that. That's <laughs> quite the subtitle. Other than that, the movie tracks Molly's memoir pretty accurately with minor differences. In the movie, she meets her boss when she waits on his table. In real life, she met him when he almost hit her with his car after she had quit her waitressing job. The book was released before her arrest, before she secured a lawyer, and before her trial. Bloom worked closely with Sorkin to fill in those details that took place between 2014 and 2017. The scenes with the mobster beating her up in her home, and her finding out that Joey Bag of Donuts in the gang had been arrested, also happened as shown in the movie. Oh. Damn. And now we're going to get to the part you really wanted to talk about, John. Player X. <laughs> and other players. What was in the movie? In the movie, it was said that movie stars, rappers, sports figures, and heads of industry attended the games. But none are mentioned by name. Player X is a movie star in the film, played by Michael Sarah, And he is presented as a conniving, cruel, and manipulative person who takes the original poker game away from Molly. So what really happened? In the book, Molly names four celebrities who played in the games. She names Tobey Maguire, Ben Affleck, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Macaulay Culkin. The only reason she named these players is because their participation was already public knowledge due to press reports and a lawsuit that was brought by a bank that sued Molly for the money that one of the players, Bradley Rutterman, had lost in the game. The what? bank, The bank claimed that any winnings belonged to those who lost money on his Ponzi scheme and not to the players who won what? money in the poker games. Always be the bank. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wow, what bank is this? Chase Manhattan, J.P. Morgan? Yeah. <laughs> bank of America? So I, I've just got to ask. It was, it was Macaulay Culkin, right? Player X? We'll get there. Okay. It was Bradley Rutterman who ran a $44 million Ponzi scheme and lost $25 million at Bloom's poker table. God damn. According to the lawsuit that was brought by hedge fund investors, Toby McGuire needed to pay back $311,200 of that money, which included one winning hand that totaled $110,000. Other players who were called out in the suit include billionaire Alex Gorris, actor and director of The Notebook Nick Cassavetes, Rick Solomon of Paris Hilton sex tape fame. Wow. He made that much money off the sex tape? 
Or he's probably independently. What are they, what are they called? The trust fund thing now? In, trust, independ- fund trust fund babies. No, I know that, but there's a there's a there's a kinder you know euphemism. Oh yeah. Independently wealthy. Independently wealthy. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Record label owner Cody Libel and real estate developer and Las Vegas entrepreneur Andrew Sasson. Even though Leonardo DiCaprio, Ben Affleck, and Macaulay Culkin were not named in the lawsuit, they had already been named as by the press as playing in the poker games. In New York, Alex Rodriguez attended some of the games, and the Olsen twins brought rich players to the games as well. So, let's go ahead and play a game, John. Don, mm-hmm. I'm going to recite some incidences from Bloom's book, and you have to identify which celebrity or celebrities that I have already mentioned are responsible for these actions. Okay. I have replaced the celebrities' names with the name Player X. Okay. okay. Ready for number one? Yes. Quote, I swear on my mother's life I have you beat, he had said convincingly and earnestly. I wouldn't lie to you, man. His opponent had gotten confused. I had watched him stare at the cards he was holding, knowing full well he had the winning hand, Toby McGuire. but suddenly unsure after Player X's performance. Coley Culkin. Player X was incredibly convincing and so earnest that the guy eventually, although reluctantly, gave in. Oof. To add insult to injury, Player X then victoriously showed his bluff. To me, his actions were in a really bad taste. Don? Toby McGuire. Culkin. Okay, after we finish all of them, I'll tell you. Okay. Number two. In the movie, the character of Harlan Eustace, in real life, producer Houston Curtis, gets in over his head and makes a deal with Player X to cover his ante in return for half of his winnings until the debt is paid. From Bloom's book, quote, I'm going to make $10 million this year on poker, Player X once exclaimed, not knowing that I knew that Houston had told me about the alleged arrangement they had made. The celebrity is? Ben Affleck. Don? Leonardo DiCaprio. And number three. Last one. He held a $1,000 chip in his hand. He flipped it over a couple times in his fingers. This is yours, he said, holding it out to me. Thanks, Player X, I said, reaching my hand out. He yanked the chip back at the last second. If, he said, if you do something to earn these thousand dollars. His voice was loud enough that some of the guys looked up to see what was happening. I laughed, trying not to show my nerves. What do I want you to do, he said, as if he were pondering. The whole table was watching us now. I know, he said. Get up on that desk and bark like a seal. I looked at him. His face was lit up like it was Christmas Eve. Bark like a seal who wants a fish, he said. I laughed again, stalling, hoping he would play the joke out by himself and leave. I'm not kidding. What's wrong? You're too rich now? You won't bark for a thousand dollars? Wow, you must really be rich. My face was burning. The room was silent. Come on, he said, holding the chip above my head. Bark. No, I said quietly. No, he asked. Player X, I said, I'm not going to bark like a seal. Keep your chip. My face was on fire. I knew he would be angry, especially because he had now engaged the whole audience, and I wasn't playing his game. I was embarrassed, but I was also angry. And the celebrity is? Ben Affleck. Don? 
I think this one's Tobey Maguire, too, because I think he's the one who carried the game over and took it, and he would try to dominate her before he did so to see if he could get her to acquiesce. The fact is, they are all Tobey Maguire. Holy Christ. shit! What a piece of shit of Man. a human being. He is... What an actor, though. <laughs> <laughs> Guy had me snowed. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ! Fuck! And we need to make this point here. Molly Bloom was not about the figurative star fucking. For her, it wasn't about who came to the games. It was about who could ante up if celebrities were present. So Anthony Rodriguez coming to the game was great... Because he was bringing in people who had money to mm-hmm. play. And a lot of the people at the table were there just because they wanted to sit down and say they played poker with a celebrity. Mm. And they had money that they could lose. That's an interesting knot. Again, it's just an interesting notch on your belt. Like I, if someone I was talking to some dude or whatever, and just, hey, I played with Leo. <laughs> All right. Cool. cool. Yeah. So the celebrities were just bait. Basically. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, were people upset that she did that? Because, you know, yeah. it's a woman. Well, they came out with an experience and a story. How, how did the celebrities respond when all of this started coming out? Any info on that? Oh, we'll get into that cool. in a little bit. Well, as J.D. Salinger says, they're all prostitutes anyway. Yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about attorney Charlie Jaffe. Played by, and let's all say it together, Idris Elba. Swoon. Swoon. What was in the movie? Molly is represented by defense attorney Charlie Jaffe. At first, he is not interested in representing her, assuming he's going to be wrapped up in a salacious Hollywood situation after having read her book. He comes to realize that Molly is being implicated in a crime that she should not be involved with. So what really happened? The character of Charlie Jaffe, played by Idris Elba, is a fictional character. While Molly did have a defense lawyer, Jim Walden, Aaron Sorkin wanted to have an amount of freedom in presenting the character of Charlie because he wanted to present the character that was an avatar for himself. And this is going to make some sense here. Because like Charlie Jaffe... Sorkin was sought out by Molly Bloom to tell her story. She had connections in Hollywood. She is quite the marketer, isn't she? She went around to people asking how she could get in contact with Aaron Sorkin. And like Charlie Jaffe, Sorkin was not interested in writing a story that was a Hollywood tell-all. It was through discussions he had with Bloom and questioning her that Sorkin realized the story was more than he thought and he wanted the character of Charlie Jaffe to have the same experience. So as you're watching the two of them in the movie, these are essentially discussions Sorkin and Bloom had as they were developing the story. And were they, does Sorkin say that they were actively that hostile toward one another? Uh, He didn't clarify on that, no. Because those initial scenes were... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, And a quick production note, Idris Elba and Jessica Chastain only had 10 days in their schedules to film together. Hmm. Man, I know that they're they're in it quite a bit, but they did all of that in ten days. Yep. In real life, Walden, her real attorney, did forego his two hundred and fifty thousand dollar retainer in order to represent Molly. Did you find anything on why her actual attorney decided to do it pro bono? 
Uh, no, I did not. There's... So there wasn't an indication if he got paid later, if she was able to find any of the money she had on the streets or... Uh, she had a lot of money to pay back when this was all said and done. So mm-hmm. I don't think he was really expecting a payday out of it. Mm-hmm. But for all we know, he might have had the same concerns as Charlie Jaffe did. Hmm. Yeah. And while we're talking about Charlie Jaffe, let's talk about a major plot point which involved Bloom's hard drives. According to Jaffe, when you plug your phone into your computer to charge the battery, your computer automatically downloads all of the text messages from your phone. And this is huge because it said she has personal information of people on those drives. Mm -hmm. But this is only true if you have set up an app to automatically back up your SMS messages. Mm -hmm. Oliver Lopez Che, who is an active directory engineer at Computer Sciences Engineering at DXC Technology in Costa Rica, answered the same question on a thread on Quora on July 1st, 2019. According to him, the following happens when you plug your mobile phone into your computer. One, power starts flowing to the phone. The battery starts to charge. Two, Windows attempts to recognize which type of device was just plugged in. Mm -hmm. If the device is not recognized, Windows will tell you that you connected an unknown device and won't do anything else with it, but it will continue to charge through the USB port. Molly Bloom did not have information on hard drives she was refusing to give up. She just simply refused to share the details that she knew from running the games. So those hard drives were just a MacGuffin in the story. Mm. So that is true then? She refused to share some of those details? Yeah. It's also true. She didn't get her money back from the government. She was in debt. Yeah, it was pretty fucked up. Well, let's move on to uh, to the next thing. And this isn't quite presented in the film, but it's a bit of fact here. And that is, Tobey Maguire is responsible for the whole thing. What's, for, for what whole thing? The games. Oh. So let's talk about this, because when we, the viewer, are introduced to the card game, it is a game that is already established and taking place at the Cobra Club. Molly Bloom is told by her boss to call a list of numbers and tell them when the game is. So is that supposed to be the Viper Room? Mm-hmm. As the game continues, she develops a spreadsheet for tracking wins and losses of players and brings a greater organization to the endeavor. Player X becomes unhappy with how much Molly is making in tips and tells her that adjustments need to be made. He later takes the game away from her. What really happened? Molly Bloom was working for Darren Feinstein. Feinstein was the co-owner of the Viper Club with Johnny Depp. According to Houston Curtis, a.k.a. Eustace Hansen, the guy who lost his shirt in the movie, Mm -hmm. to Bad Brad, the game moved to the Viper Club after Tobey Maguire quit having people to his home for poker games. But let's back this up a little bit, because... It wasn't like McGuire was having his buddies over for a friendly game. Curtis, an experienced card cheat, and the author of the book, Million Dollar Hollywood Heist, worked with McGuire starting in 2004 to lure in rich suckers who were more interested in hanging out with celebrities than playing poker. McGuire's goal was to take advantage of people with means 
in order to fleece them with large buy-ins and large pots of money, that McGuire would win. The game started at McGuire's home, but he got tired of players chewing tobacco in his home and ordering pepperoni pizzas. He's a vegan. He was... <laughs> Sorry. What? Just, uh, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Just all these pieces. He was also worried about yeah. germs and made players leave their shoes at the door. They had to wear Crocs that he provided. The, all right, look. He must have had security, I'm sure. Is that... This is my question. How is no one's ass getting kicked mm-hmm. in these circumstances? Yeah. No, no reports of asses being kicked. Who the fuck is afraid of Tobey Maguire? I don't know. Okay. Do you think it was just his ability think, to know, publicly shame someone or ruin their reputation? He had to have had muscle there if there's that much money. <clears throat> I would think so. I'm just thinking of this this behavior that I hear. like It comes with an ass kicking. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. But you're at, with that much least, money involved? At, at with least. that much money involved on the table? Like, I, I'm just surprised yeah. that he was able to actually maintain such a thing at his house. Well, he was hustling people. Is That's what, what I'm saying. I'm yeah. surprised he didn't get his ass kicked. <laughs> but I think on some level, if you have the money to lose and you're, you're playing games with these high stakes and these large buy-ins to sit down with celebrities and play poker, you know you're paying to sit down with celebrities and play poker. Sure, I just think that the the wheel of fortune or chance would spin, and you'd mm-hmm. you'd get it. The odd duck who's like, "What the fuck? I just got hustled by Tobe." By is he Spider Man? What what is he? Yeah, Spider Man. Whatever, Spider Man boy. Um, uh, like- I don't think they understood his motivation for holding the games because Tobey Maguire isn't just a good poker player for a celebrity. He's a good poker player. He's been in the World Series of Poker a couple times. He he can play. He has the yeah. skill to play, but he wasn't in it to play. He was in it to fuck people over. Agreed, but I'm just saying that and, and understood. But I just I still would think that yeah the ruse is up like at some point and someone's coming for blood. Like why why? Hey, if you have the money to lose and you know why you're losing it, yeah. I don't think any of those people were coming there because they knew they were really playing poker or knew they had a chance. So you think they just wanted a story? They wanted a story and an experience, mm-hmm. and they knew what they were paying for. Huh. And to, is Tobey Maguire acting anymore? Uh, production. Really? Although they are working on another Spider-Man movie, and there's rumors that people who were in former Spider-Man movies are all coming back. It's some weird... Alfred Molina's already coming back. Yeah, yeah, as Doc Ock. And Tobey Maguire's coming back, too. It's some weird time warp thing they're doing. But he's old now. Spider-Man is a teenager. He's a high school student. Whatever. Okay. Okay. Anyway. In 2005, the game moved to the Viper Lounge, and this is when Molly was introduced to the games. According to Hanson, Feinstein said, I'll have a poker room set up downstairs and get a hot piece of ass named Molly to serve drinks. Now, Curtis can't seem to figure out how he wants to regard Molly Bloom. In an article with The Observer on May 6, 2014, before Bloom's book was released, Curtis, who had never given an interview about the games, said, Out of respect for my friendship with Miss Bloom, I called to give her a heads up. No offense, but the poor girl has been through hell, and I don't want to contribute to something that could potentially make it even worse. I wanted to know how she felt about me speaking with you, 
before I decided to answer your questions. Six years later, while promoting his own book about the card games, he said <laughs> this of Bloom, quote, Molly had nothing to do with anything. Initially, she just served drinks and we gave her numbers to call the guys. In the end, McGuire, player X in this instance, really did not like that Bloom was taking home $30,000 in tips each night, just like in the film. According to Bloom's book, he did have the game taken away from her. What the fuck is wrong with him? And said, you are fucked. Now, as for the game itself, this may answer your questions. Quote, this is Mr. Curtis again. I don't think anyone who played in the game on a regular basis would disagree with me in saying it changed our lives. For a few brief hours, once, sometimes twice a week, high up in a beautiful five-star hotel suite, a series of regular, yet anything but regular players left everything else in their lives at the door and had an experience that very few people in the world ever get to have. I will be forever grateful for that time in my life and for the role that Molly played in making it happen on a consistent basis. So to them, the importance was just being part of a rare experience. It doesn't matter what the actual experience is. It's so fucking stupid. I just I can't wrap my head around that kind of idiocy. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to sympathize or empathize. I don't know. I don't think there's much. I, I think the only one to sympathize with is Molly Bloom. Yeah, sure, yeah. that's what I'm saying. The sentiment yeah. of that. Of that. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Just... I don't sympathize with any of the players. They, they. It's hard to understand. I guess you know. It's hard. Empathize would be the other. I mean, it's hard to even exchange places and see like what, why that would be desirable. Yeah. I... Well, I mean, what we established at the beginning of the conversation: none of us are gamblers. Yeah. None of us are also in this tax bracket. Yeah, but beyond that, I just and I realize a lot of this is is idiosyncratic. This is this is just my core. I look at this kind of money just yeah. being flung around mm -hmm. for momentary pleasure <clears throat> and I see the suffering in our country and yeah. I I get so fucking enraged that people just treat it like it's just fun. The what you can do with that kind of money they just seem so soulless to me and so lacking of sympathy or empathy or compassion that this is what they choose to do. And I mean maybe they do other charitable works with some of their money, but I just I see this money being flung around and I it just it boggles my mind. Mm -hmm. But this is on, I mean, you're getting on a level with the Caesars at this point, because yeah. it's like when you're given the keys to the kingdom, how many people refuse those keys? You know what exactly. I mean? Right. It's like, well, we've never been in that situation. I can't imagine being excited about playing a game of poker with Tobey Maguire or Ben yeah. Affleck, but I don't know, maybe give me 20 years of, you know, living off of a couple million dollars a year and not ever having to work. And I mean... Who knows? Maybe I might turn into a monster. Yeah, and, and I mean... I, I don't know. And to me, you know, I mean, I'm never impressed when someone met someone famous. I mean, I've met famous people, had yeah. interactions yeah. with them. I don't think it's the end-all and be-all because they're just people in the end. At the core of this, what we have, as related by Hanson Curtis, 
is that Tobey Maguire constructed these games to basically fuck over Starfuckers. I, I, I'm miffed by the the fact that he was that it was really true that he that Tobey Maguire was upset that she was taking home 30k. The pettiness. Yeah. Of, like, what's 30 grand to Toby McGuire? <laughs> You're making too much money. What in in what world does that enter your that thought even enter your imagination? Like, oh man. Yeah, it it's your pettiness, vindictiveness. <sighs> well, let's put it in this context. Molly Bloom was really benefiting from an, a thing he created. And when you look at it, so there might have been some jealousy. I'm not defending him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's scale. I mean, you could argue that for anyone who receives tips, the waitress is getting money from the because this person created a restaurant. She's being tipped, or he is being tipped because they have provided good service, excellent service, superior service. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would the restaurateur resent that? Because that good service in turn is bringing those people back. So why wouldn't you want them to have all those tips? Because the restaurateur did not build that restaurant with the expectation of getting those tips. Toby McGuire, from these reports, constructed this whole thing to get the money. And here's $30,000 that's not going in his pocket. But he wouldn't... Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying if you're looking at it from his perspective... Has has he said anything about it? No. Does he just say no comment? I, I couldn't find anything where he's quoted on it. Oh, okay. We just have the second-hand account from Hanson Curtis. This is interesting. We, we've we had a few of these episodes where you guys are just left in silence at the end. It's because it's gross. It, yeah. It is. It's like gross in a way that... It's Trumpy and gross. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's gross in, in that gaudy kind of like just showy... It's like nouveau riche kind of like I've just I got so much money I don't know what to and time I don't know what to do with myself and instead of you know I don't know pulling a Jimmy Carter or a you know whatever you know Bill Gates I don't like I'm not saying these these are noble people I don't know them but why why doesn't that attention get directed Externally, beyond your own fucking ego, mm-hmm. it, it just makes me sick. It, it, and again, I think it's it's to Don's point because it's like, you know, you thirty thousand dollars, right? That that was like when I was growing up. It's like if you could hit that, I was like, you right. wouldn't be poor anymore. And yeah. It's like the, it, it's just the. the that 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 level of blindness and arrogance and just or just inhumanity and cruelty is just not something I can reconcile, and it's something that makes me violently angry. Yeah, I understand that, and, and I just want to point out that all of that was much easier to research than the ski accident, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> I'm especially how you got to Toby McGuire. Uh-huh. I, I just yeah, I can't believe you got to the source. Yeah. Well, he's named in her book. Well, I, I understand that, but I just can't believe that that this is isn't Toby Maguire like America's sweetheart? Isn't he like? The, 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 I think he was during Spider Man. Yeah. yeah. Has he has the the country had a falling out with him? 
I don't know. Did he do I don't something? know if, did we break up with him? I don't know. I always thought he was like the guy everybody loved in every movie. You know, he's like, oh, it's a little cute Tobey Maguire coming along. Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. um, so did her book corroborate what this other guy was saying? Well, his book came out well after hers. Okay. And in fact, but, it seems like his book came out to capitalize on her book. Uh-huh. But were were they corroborating one another? Were they consistent in the way they were describing Tobey Maguire or any of the dynamics? I haven't read his book at all. And her book I read a little bit, but mainly kind of did word searches and an ebook to mm-hmm. corroborate specific information. Well, you know, uh, I... I I have a combination of feeling impressed with myself and disturbed when I stun both of you into silence on a topic. I don't know if it's stunned. I think it's like um, seething, Mm -hmm. like Old Testament anger and rage and vengeance that is about to erupt. I think that's the place that I'm at right now. Wow. I'm in Yahweh territory, baby. Mm. I, I get it. I get it. Well, then let's move on to a letter grade for... The accuracy of the truth in Molly's game. Don, what would you say? A through F? I'm not sure. It feels like so much of the information is convoluted. I feel like I can't give it more than a C because so much of it cannot be verified. Oh, such as what? Um, well, the whole, all the information about her ski accident and all those things because even if that's the only information that is completely fabricated, that is the start. That's the foundation of the movie's Mm storyline and how it explores how she ended up running this poker game. So if that's incorrect, to me, that's substantive. Really? Even if it's the one thing, because that was created as the start of this storyline. So how she left skiing is substantive for the rest of the story, whether it was a crash or she just said, I've done all I can on it and dropped out. Yes, because she said that was the reason why she headed to Mm. LA and Mm. why she didn't go to law school immediately. She was looking for some fresh start or a break or I I don't remember exactly how she described it at the beginning of the movie. Her year off. Well, in real life, she went to Greece Mm -hmm. and then when she Mm -hmm. came and then from Greece went to LA and it was a friend who she met in Greece who she wound up bunking with in L.A. Yeah. I mean, I just think that fundamentally changes it, whether mm-hmm. oh, I've decided to retire and this is what I'm doing now in contrast with this was taken away from me by a freak accident. Mm-hmm. It very much changes whether, you know, you've done something deliberate or out of panic or something's fallen into your lap or, or any of those things. It just really changes it. Got it. John, your thoughts? Well, did you give a letter grade? I did. C. C. Okay. John? I'm, I I think I'm going with a C too, but I want to go with a little bit of a bump up because I think they did the casting really nicely with uh, uh, Michael Sarah. Oh, yeah. For yeah. Player X. Oh, yeah. He he was he was my favorite character in player in the in the in the in the film aside from he's so you know, good at being my, awful my true love, um, <laughs> uh, but he, yeah he's just oh my god he plays just a slithering oh it's just wonderful he's great great uh-huh. acting oh man um, so I would say he nailed the 
<laughs> okay, he nailed the um, he, he nailed the Slytherin in, to- in Tobey Maguire. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He got the yeah. he got mm-hmm. that ugly thing out. Mm-hmm. And I think it was kind of a treat to see him do that too, because usually he plays much nicer, yeah. right? Yeah, He's yeah. affable. Absolutely. You know, the big thing we've seen him in is. Uh, Arrested Development and Juno, uh, Juno mm-hmm. you know, and he's trying to do the right thing yeah. and he's a little awkward and this, he's just, yeah, you, you get to see that he is an actor. Yeah. yeah. So well, letter grade from you, John? Yeah, C plus. C plus. I'd go as high as B. For me, how she leaves skiing in the film isn't as important as everything else that comes along afterwards. And I found it tracked pretty true to what she wrote. So I'd go a B. I'd bump it up a little bit. But what I wanted to mention with Michael Sarah is I was always curious if he read her book, he had to know mainly who he was playing. Even if Player X was a combination of people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had to know the majority of it was Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if he and Tobey Maguire ever talked oh about it. Oh my God. Can you fucking imagine? Can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. But you know what? In, in in that in that you know again that just that that snaky mind you know, I can imagine Tobey Maguire going, yeah you know play me like this and play me like that mm-hmm. like, like to craft a public image. Oh, and, you know mm-hmm. I mean I can, oh I can imagine those machinations. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Well, Toby didn't come out well in this discussion, did he? No, no. I had no idea. I was in from I was never a fan to begin with, but I had no idea I was in for a. For a, a Toby come down on this one. No, but yeah. you were big on Ben Affleck on your answers. You know why? Because I've but, just I I don't know anything. I mean, obviously, but um, I've just heard he's an asshole. Mm. I've heard a lot. I've heard he's he's just I've in the tabloids, you know, where you yeah. get all the good news. Um, well, where the most accurate <laughs> stuff is. Sorry, where the most accurate. Where the most accurate yeah. stuff is. No, that was my guess. Was I was thinking, oh, it's it's got to be him because he's the he's the like, the alpha pushing everybody around. And anyway. Wow. And Don, you were pretty much on target. Spot on. Yeah. I did pick Leonardo DiCaprio once. And I think it's not because I think he is amoral the way uh, those quotes were presented. But he he's always acknowledged. Like, he has the taste for some of the seedier things in life or that we consider seedier. So it just seems like th- that might be something he might indulge in a bit. You know, mm. if... If you see that all those quotes are from the same person, it's much different than, oh, maybe this person was kind of feeling himself that night and was just yeah, kind of, yeah. like, yeah. we're all dickish sometimes. Yeah. Maybe maybe that was just his day. No, Leo was at the games because he's friends with Tobey Maguire. So, of course, yeah. on the thought of luring people in with stars, yeah. Leo would be there, but from all reports, he would keep headphones on and just not engage. He was He was not there fully. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That feels like a whole other conversation by yeah. itself. Yeah. No, he'd just be on headphones and yeah. Like cans? Yeah. <laughs> just not engaging with people. and. So did people feel cheated out of their star experience? I, I don't know. They could still say they played poker with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. As long as you can say it, right? All right. Well, John, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Don, thank you. Thank you. Boners for Idris and hate boners, hate boners for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ooh, that Idris Elba. 
Now is the time when we fact check ourselves. I can't possibly presume to have every answer for every question that comes up during our conversations. And sometimes our guests will ask me to do some extra research. And I share that information here. For instance, Don asked why Molly's real-life attorney, Jim Wilder, took her case. I didn't have an answer at the time, but I did find an article where they interviewed Jim Wilder, and he said that a colleague of his was representing another defendant in the case, and that colleague referred Bloom over to him. Wilder's firm allowed him to represent Bloom without the retainer. He also points out that he really did have his daughter read The Crucible. That wraps up another episode of Biopics Mostly Suck. If you liked it, please subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. We are literally everywhere, but not Spreaker. We don't do Spreaker. You can find all of the sources that we use to build this episode at Biopics Mostly Suck slash Molly's Game. I usually throw some other goodies on the episode pages like videos or pictures. For Molly's Game, I have an interview with Molly Bloom talking about making the film. I want to thank John and Don for talking about Molly's Game. You can find John Helix on Facebook at John Helix Official. You can find his music in most places where you go to get your music. How are we doing with this project? Go like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the handle of at Mostly Suck. You can also find us on Letterboxd under the handle of Real BMS Podcast. You can also send us your feedback through our website, biopicsmostlysuck.com. And you can recommend which movies you would like us to use for an episode. And we will share the true story behind that movie based on a true story. Take care, everyone.